Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. This is one of the hardest messages I have ever preached. And I've been preaching in some sort, some fashion since about 19... 97, not because it's heavy content, it's really not, it's actually pretty exciting content, it's just hard. So before I get into it, I just, let me, I just want to say this, okay? If you don't hear anything, hear this. God loves you, he's not given up on you, he has grace and mercy for your messes, he loves you enough to give you salvation through Jesus, empower you through the Holy Spirit, he has a purpose and a plan for your life that you can live for a greater good. Can I get an Amen. I just wanted you to hear something today that you could understand. You know what I'm saying? Let's just, let's just do this. So um, where are my people that like when you were in school, you kind of enjoyed science? Where are you at? Yeah. All right. Where's my people that enjoyed math? Hands are getting smaller. But I like math. I did. I scored well on math and ACT. Uh, I, some people were hooked on phonics. I did not get hooked on phonics. Like I struggle with that. So where's my people that like really English stuff and my misspelled slides drive you crazy? I got you. All right. So. Um, today is not really for the history people. It's really for my math people. So for those 12 of you in here that enjoy math, you're really going to enjoy this. Um, my wife is actually traveling today, coming back from Denver. This would be my hardest sermon I've ever preached. This would be the worst sermon of her life. Like she just, when I start talking math and stuff, she glazes over. But I'm just gonna warn you that we're just gonna kind of let the text preach the text and we're gonna read some of this and you're gonna have to go, ah, ah. Because Daniel's hard a lot of reasons why there's not a lot of preachers and churches that preach through the book of Daniel because it's hard. But we also have the above average smarter church than everybody else. Can I get an amen? It's like some smart brains to do this today. So we are kind of walking through the book of Daniel, more of a Bible study than I would say a sermon series. And this is hard to understand, but it's even hard for Daniel to understand. Because if you recall from the last couple of weeks, there's times that Daniel has this dream or this prophecy, or this revelation, and he, he doesn't understand what he's seeing. And so God has to send a messenger to him to kind of explain the dream of what's going on. Some of the things that Daniel talks about happen in his lifetime. Like the, the prophecies that he sees in the dream will actually take place before he dies. He lived in and around 600-ish B.C., so roughly 600 years before Jesus. Some of the stuff would happen after he dies. Some of the stuff would happen at what we call the end of times, like it has yet to happen. And it's very possible, and we talked about this last week, that, that some of this prophecy has what we call a dual fulfillment. Like it would be fulfilled in his lifetime, like he would see it, but it may also have a far fulfillment. Like, like it may not happen in his lifetime, and it may not happen until the end of days. One of the most famous dual fulfillment verses is found in the book of Isaiah. And it was God giving a sign to a king, King Ahaz, and he wasn't a good king, but the neighboring nation's armies had gathered up and they were gonna kind of beat up on him. And God's like, I got you. Matter of fact, to prove I got you, I'm gonna give you a sign. So this is one of the more famous dual prophecies out of scripture. It's found in Isaiah chapter seven. It says this, all right then, the Lord himself will give you, King Ahaz, a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel, which means God 
with us. Now, this prophecy had a near fulfillment, meaning most scholars believe that there was a young woman that was a part of the royal family, that she was a young woman, she got married, had a son, unknowingly that God had said this, she named him Emmanuel. But this prophecy, when you read that, you're like, well, that kind of sounds familiar. Is he talking about Jesus? It does. It has a dual fulfillment because it was fulfilled in King Ahaz's lifetime, but it was also used in the Gospels to describe the birth and the coming of Jesus when Mary, the virgin, would conceive a child. His name would be God with us, okay? So um, within a fulfillment that would take place 700 years later, after this prophesied, is when Jesus was born. So some of Daniel has this dual fulfillment component to it. Like it happens in his lifetime, but it could also represent or kind of be a, a precursor or kind of like God wants you to know what to expect, what you're to be looking for when it happens again. If you're confused now, it's gonna be a really long morning. I'm just telling you, right? So let's be real. If you ever decide that you're gonna read through the Bible, you get on one of them yearly reading plans, you read like six chapters a day, and you come to Leviticus <laughs> or Isaiah or Daniel, it's just hard. It takes a lot of self-discipline to grind it out and just read through this understanding. Because I'll be honest, when you get to Daniel, you're like, I'm gonna read it, but I have no idea what's going on. That's the reason why I'm doing this series. A lot, not a lot of people will preach through Daniel, and if they do, they typically focus on the first half. They'll dabble a little bit in the end times. Sometimes they'll dabble in Daniel chapter nine where we're at, but it's a really hard. This is a hard message to understand because God's gonna use math. We're gonna do the calculations, and if you don't like math, just hang with me because there's kind of a really cool moment at the end, all right? So Daniel chapter nine is where we're going. And one of the things that also makes this hard is because Daniel is seeing things that some of them are heavenly, some of them are eternal, some of them are things that are in the future that he doesn't understand. And so he will use the term throughout the book, not necessarily in this chapter, but he will say, it was like. It was like. It, it, it was like a bear. It was, it, was like a mon it was like an animal. It was like a leopard. It was like. He doesn't know what he's seeing, so he's doing his best to transcribe for us or the readers of his letter of what he was seeing. So um, we are on the homeward stretch. I, I want you to hear this, three more weeks. After today, there's three more weeks of Daniel that we're gonna get into the Christmas story and get ready for, for all that stuff. But before I get to Daniel chapter nine, if you got your Bible, slot that bad boy open to Daniel chapter nine. Before I get there, I wanna, I wanna just show you a verse or two out of the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 25 is, is where I'm going, if you wanna, if you wanna write that down. There were three prophets, and, and the term we use is contemporaries. They lived and ministered, their, their timelines kind of overlapped. And so Daniel was one of those, a guy by the name of Ezekiel. He's really weird. Like, if you have trouble with Daniel, Ezekiel, like, he does some funky stuff. I don't even want to talk about it. Okay, and then there was the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was named the weeping prophet. So Jeremiah is seeing some of the same prophecies and dreams and visions that Daniel's seeing, he's seeing the destruction that's coming to the children of Israel through the army of the Babylonians. And he's just grieved by it. Matter of fact, he wrote a book called Lamentations. Jeremiah has two books in the Bible. One of them is the book called Jeremiah, but the other book he wrote is called Lamentations. Well, you'll, you'll recognize the first half of that word, lament, which means deep grief. It means regret. Like, it's a funeral book. 
It's like Jeremiah was seeing the destruction that was coming to the children of Israel, and he literally writes funeral songs about it. So he's the weeping prophet. Jeremiah chapter 25, the weeping prophet. And here's the context of this verse. God is prophesying through his man, Jeremiah, and he's telling the children of Israel, listen, I've had it. You've rejected me. You've made your own gods. You've made your own images. You've worshiped them. You've worshiped other gods. You've not listened to the warnings that have come through my prophets. You've done whatever you wanted to, and now I've had it, and I'm going to remove my protection over you and let the Babylonians just kind of come in and do whatever they want to. So that's the context of this prophecy in Jeremiah chapter 25. Are you with me? Say amen. Verse 11, Jeremiah 25. This entire land will become a desolate wasteland. Israel, that's the land he's talking about, and her neighboring lands are gonna serve the king of Babylon for, say this with me, 70 years. I'm telling you, by the time we leave at 1215, you're gonna be so tired of that number 70. I'm just telling you, warning you right now. Lock that in your brain. He's saying that, that the Babylonians, you're gonna serve them for 70 years, all right? Verse 12, then after the 70 years of captivity or the 70 years of exile, I'm gonna punish the Babylonians and their people for their sins, says the Lord. I will make the country of the Babylonians a wasteland forever, okay? So through his prophet Jeremiah, God is prophesying about what is to happen over this 70-year period where, where they will be subservient to the Babylonians. And then God clarifies in verse 12, listen, I'm not choosing the Babylonians over you. You're still my people. I'm removing my protection because you've been worshiping other gods. And then after they've kind of done all the evil they're gonna do, I'm gonna take care of them. I'm just clarifying, Israel, I'm not choosing another people. You are still my people, but you've been disobedient. Okay? So, the reason I want to look at Jeremiah chapter 25 was that verse 11, that 70 years, 70 years. Now, let's go to Daniel chapter 9. Remember, for the last couple of weeks, Daniel is no longer in sequence. Like it was all the way up through Daniel chapter 6, but 7, 8, and 9, they jump back in the timeline. My best guess on Daniel chapter 9 is it happens right in and around Daniel chapter 6, Okay. So we're no longer in sequential. We're, we're jumping back in the timeline, and Daniel talks about that in chapter 9, verse 1. All right, here we go. It was the first year. So he tells you where he's at in his timeline, and this is about Daniel chapter 6. It was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Alhasaraz. Alhasaraz, Alhasaraz. It's actually also Xerxes, okay? There's different ways to say it or whatever, but this is actually Xerxes the first who became king of the Babylonians. During the first reign, I, Daniel, learned, how did he learn? I learned from the word of the Lord that was revealed to the prophet Jeremiah that Jerusalem must lie desolate for, there's that term again, 70 years, okay? I want you to see, Daniel is a man of the word. If we're gonna survive in the Babylonian culture that surrounds us, you and I better get God's word in us. We better be grounded on the word of God. Daniel was looking to the word of God from his contemporary prophet, Jeremiah. Verse three, and he had just read about the Jerusalem's gonna lie desolate for 70 years. 
And so when he reads that, it like grieves him. He turns to the Lord and pleads with God in prayer and fasting. And he says, I also wore a rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. Daniel knows the tragedy that is coming and it causes him to pray. What tragedy? It's the tragedy that was described in Jeremiah chapter 25 that there's gonna be 70 years, okay? So then he, he spends some time fasting and praying and for the next 15 verses or so, you can read Daniel's prayer. I'm not, I'm not gonna read that, but you can. If you want to later, you can go back and read. Okay, Daniel was in this grievous state. What did he pray? I wanna jump to verse 21 because this is where the thing happens. This is where the event happens, all right? So verse 21, he says, as I was praying, Gabriel, we talked about him a couple weeks ago, whom I had seen in an earlier vision came swiftly to meet me at the time of the evening sacrifice. He explained to me, Daniel, I've come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, guess that, the moment you began praying, a command was given and now I'm here to tell you what it was. You are very precious to God, by the way. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. So Daniel's on his way to eating sacrifice. He has this vision or the angel Gabriel appears to him. And I love what he says. He says, Daniel, you are very precious to God. Think about that for just a second. I think Daniel, who is an older gentleman at this time, he's probably in his early 80s. Think about what he'd been through. He had been forced to leave his homeland at the rough hands of the Babylonians. He served the Babylonians and now he's serving the, the Mede Persian King Darius. Okay, and when you go through that tragedy and that trauma, he has been through now two brutal wars, there's a temptation to go, God, where are you? Have you forgotten about your kids? Like, I thought, I thought we were your chosen people. Where are you? Because I'm gonna tell you, this ain't no fun. And God's, listen, listen, Daniel, you, you are very precious to him. And God would say that same thing to you and I, even in the midst of your grief and your wars and your struggles and your battles, you are very precious to God. Can I get an amen? All right? So I want you to take a deep breath. Let it out. Give yourself a little pep talk and say, I can do this. Because it's about to get really hard. All right? Because you're like, I don't know what he's talking No, it's, it's about to get gnarly. All right? Gabriel brings the answer to Daniel's prayer. Daniel's reading Jeremiah 25. There's gonna be 70 years of just this exile. He starts fasting and praying. The minute he starts fasting, the command was sent. Gabriel was sent to meet Daniel and tell him and explain him what's gonna happen. And so now we're getting ready to read this revelation of the things that are to come, all right? Everybody say, I love BK. Gonna need that, all right? Verse 24. A period of, what's that word? 70. A period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people in your holy city to finish their rebellion. Now, some of you are reading your Bible along, brought it, and it, it doesn't say that. It says something different. It might say that there's 70 weeks, and, and we're gonna talk about why that says that and why this says 70 sets, okay? And now I want you to notice we're gonna count off six things that are going to happen, six fulfillments, all right? So there's 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people in the holy city to finish their rebellion, put an end to their sin, atone for their guilt, bring in everlasting righteousness to confirm the prophetic vision and to anoint the most holy place. Six things, boom, 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 boom. Just one right after another in verse 24. 
Verse 25. Now, listen. Listen. That's what he's saying. It's like, Daniel, you have to think, Daniel. You got to understand. This is, about, this is about to get real swirly. There's seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Jerusalem will be built, the streets will be strong, defenses despite the perilous times. Verse 26. Then after this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. And a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with the flood and wars and its miseries are, here's the word, decreed from that time to the very end. The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven, but after half its time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and the offerings. And as a climax to all of his terrible deeds, he will set up sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. Can I get an amen? You don't even know what you just amen, right? You know, no, I, like this pretty much preaches itself. You know what I'm saying? I don't really need to explain that. I mean, you just read that like, I got you. No, no, ah, I don't even know what I just read, okay? So, I don't know about you, but that kind of felt like a word problem in eighth grade math. You know what I'm saying? It just, it just did, you know what I'm saying? Those problems like, all right, you're flying over the desert at 180 miles an hour, and you're flying due north, and the wind's coming from the west at 40 miles an hour. The current is 30 knots out of the due east. How many 20-pound watermelons will a football field hold during a full moon? That's like, that's what that is. Teacher asked the student, he said, I've got five bottles in one hand, and I've got six bottles in the other what do I have? And the student said, a drinking problem. Bro, I'm just calling like it is. Like, you got some issues. That's the last fun we're gonna have. I'm just, I just, good. So we're gonna do a word problem out of Daniel chapter nine. We're gonna do 24, 25, and a little bit of 26, okay? It really is this word problem. And I promise you, there is this moment in a minute we're gonna go, ah, huh, oh, dang. I mean, I, I don't know that those will be the words you use, that what rednecks from Talala say is all dang, but there's this moment where you're like, well, I'll be. All right, so here we go. Daniel chapter nine, verse 24. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. At this point, I had already lost half of first service. So a period of 70 sets of seven. Call them read. 70 sets of seven. There's 70 sets of seven, and there's lots and lots and lots of theories about this and exactly what the 70 sets of seven, what it means. And some of you, if you have a older translation, like the King James, New King James, some of those older translations, they even translate this differently, okay? It'll say 70 weeks. So let me spend a little bit of time here and unpack what's going on. Keep in mind, we read moments ago, in verse two of Daniel chapter nine, what he was reading, he was reading about a prophecy in Jeremiah chapter 25. That prophecy said there's going to be 70 years of exile, okay? So that's the point. He's praying about 70 years. He's praying about the 70 years from Jeremiah 25. He's praying about 70 what? Years. That's the context of this, okay? And so the answer that Gabriel brings him is, okay, well, there's 70 Sets of seven has been decreed. And I'm gonna camp out on that sentence and kind of almost explain what every word means. 
70 sets of seven has been decreed. Here's the problem sometimes with Scripture. Some things get lost in translation for a couple of reasons, okay? Daniel's a hard book. You can, you can get the easiest-to-read Bible translation. That's why I like the New Living, and they do their best to help you. But it's hard. So the, even the guys that were translating out of the original Hebrew into the Latin and into English, it's hard to understand that there's a leopard with heads and goats with horns and all that. And so they're doing their best to try to explain, but they're trying to put it into a different language, okay? The other thing is, some languages are very beautiful, they're very descriptive, they're very powerful. We love the English language, right? But honestly, it's one of the weaker languages of the world languages. And here's, here's an example I always give. The New Testament is written in the Greek language, ancient Greek, okay? Well, there are nine Greek words for the word we translate into English, love. For example... Pastor Joe and I leave today, and I'm going to go, buddy, I love you. And I'm going to go to the airport today and pick up my wife, and when I see her, I'm going to go, baby, I sure do love you. Can I tell you that's two different loves? Okay? That's two different loves. And so sometimes the English language is lacking a little bit of the description of what they're trying to pull over from the original language. If that makes sense, say amen. Okay, so let me show you the problem. The New Living Translation, put that verse up on the screen right there. It says that there is a period of 70 sets of seven, okay? But there are 39 other English translations that word it this way. Put the next translation up. It says that 70 weeks are determined. Well, why do some say 70 sets of seven and why do some say 70 weeks? So let me read you out of a commentary. It's called The Footsteps of the Messiah and it gives a little bit of explanation here, all right? The translation for the word week is the word shavout, S-H-A-V-O-U-T. That's the Hebrew word week, okay? But the word shavuum is symbolic of the number seven. It is not the number seven. Shavuum is not the number seven in Hebrew. That's actually shabbat, okay? But the word is shavuum, and it represents Seven. I know it's confusing, so let me give you an example in our modern day of, that might help explain this. If you were to go to the donut store, can I get a good amen? All right. And you were to say, I need a dozen glazed donuts. How many donuts are they going to give you? Well, somebody said 15 last service. I said, I guess you're praying for a miracle. Come on, Lord, make them donuts multiply. If you go and say, I want a dozen donuts, they're going to give you 12 Donuts, okay? So the word dozen, it's not the word 12, but it's symbolic for 12. That's exactly what's going on in this verse with the Shavuot. It's not the number seven, but it is symbolic for the number seven. Oh, wow. I know, that's great. It's crazy, all right? So, all right. And so translators got a little confused here because these words are very similar, they have the same root word. You can see they both start with S-H-A-V, okay? And so some of them chose to translate this as 70 weeks, but it's the newer translations. It's the New Living and the NIV that kind of pushed against that, and they're the ones that have started translating this as 70 sets of seven. And let me tell you why, okay? If you're dealing with 70 sets of seven, is it seven days? 
Well, if you do that math, um, 70 sets of days is like 490 days, okay? Well, that's 1.3 years. It's not, that 70 sets of seven days doesn't really add up. If you use the term weeks, if it's 70 sets of weeks, then it's like 3,430 days, okay? Well, that's 9.5 Jewish years. And again, we haven't ever had a 9.5 referenced or mentioned or, or whatever, so it doesn't really fit. And so some of them, just because the words were similar, that's how they chose to translate it. Here's why I think it is years. Jeremiah chapter 25, and he gets this prophecy about the 70 years of exile, and Daniel's reading Jeremiah 25, and he starts grieving and weeping, and he's praying, and he's fasting, and he's wearing burlap and sackcloth and throwing ashes on. He said, he's praying about this 70 years, and God shows up and starts talking to him. Why would God change timetables? He's praying about 70 years and God starts talking to him about 70 sets of years, okay? So I believe the context here is years. You may not think that. You're like, well, I think, okay, okay, that's great. I, I, you may be right. I may be crazy. I quote Billy Joel, okay? All right, so just kind of file that 70 sets of seven. So if you take 70 years times seven sets, it's 490 years, all right? Let me unpack one more word for you before I lose you to all the math. A period of 70 sets of seven has been, and here's the word, decreed for your people. The Hebrew word decreed is the word hatak. Like bring up a loogie when you say it. Hatak, all right? It means determined. It's been decided, all right? This word right here only appears one time in the Old Testament, rat cheer. It, the word only appears one time in Daniel chapter nine, verse 24. Now, its root word is the word shatah. You, you like add a C to the front of it, okay? And that word has a similar meaning, but it means to be cut, cut out, cut off, or decided, okay? So this is what the New American Commentary says, is that when, when, the, when this verse says that a period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed, it's been cut off, it's been cut out, like God has cut out a certain period of time out of all of history that will serve a very specific purpose. He has cut out of history a period of 490 years that it's different than all the other years in history, okay? Okay, all right, so let's add more math to this equation about watermelons and airplanes. Verse 25. You can do this. You can do this. Only had one person's head explode in the last service. So. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus, I knew there was algebra, 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt, the streets, strong defenses, despite the perilous times. Okay, so I'm gonna put a graphic up on the screen. One of them we're gonna leave up on the screen. So let me explain what this is, okay? You have that decree. We're gonna cut out of all of history 490 years, okay? And there's a point where that decree starts. There's a trigger, and I'm gonna show it to you in just a second. All right, so you have 70 sets of seven. You have 49 years. And then he said you had 62 sets of seven, all right? 
And so when you add all that up together, all right, it comes with a whole bunch, right? So you've got everything up into the front of this. There's gonna be something that happens. There's gonna be a period of 49 years. Then there's gonna be a period of 434 years. And then there's gonna be a period of another seven years. Hey, thanks for coming today. We'll see you next Sunday. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's all you need to know. Keep in mind, when Daniel is praying in Daniel chapter nine, he is not praying. Dear Lord, where does the United States of America fit into all this? Like, that, like he, the United States of America ain't even a thing. He is not going, like, Lord, how does this pray out in America? Like, we see, we try to see Scripture, we try to find ourselves in Scripture, but America's not even a thing. He's praying for the people of Israel. He's praying for the people that are soon to be conquered, all right? And so it's also very possible that this time frame up here has a dual fulfillment, that there's a front part of fulfillment, and then there's possible that it could mean weeks as we get into some later things at the end of time, all right? So I'm gonna hit pause for one second. I'm gonna back out of Daniel, and I'm gonna do a little history lesson. In 708 A.D., A.D. means the year of our Lord. So after Jesus, 708 years after they supposed the birth of Jesus, there would be a guy come on the scene and he was walking proud, talking loud, and drawing a crowd. I mean, he thought he was the cat's mouth. His name was Julius Caesar, okay? You know that, you've heard that. He's a Roman emperor, all right? Julius Caesar thought he was such a big deal. He thought, well, I'm just gonna name a month after myself. And so he named this incredible, amazing month. And anybody who is born in the month of July is extremely good looking. They have the favor of the Lord on them. Can I get all my July babies up in here? Amen, Kelly. You and I share the same birthday, July 29th, if you want to take notes. All right? So Julius Caesar, he, he changed the calendar. And the Romans developed this calendar, and he added the month of July, and he also added the month of August. Okay? Well, you get into the 1500s, so you fast forward a couple, of hundreds, a couple of centuries, and you get to 1582, and the Roman Catholic Pope Gregory XIII, it just feels better if you say it that way, Pope Gregory XIII, okay? He had some folks do some math. I saw the math. I didn't understand the math, all right? But there's some crazy formulas out there, and they're like, hey, this, is, this isn't really right. And so he developed a new calendar that in... Pope Gregory's calendar, every four years, you add an extra day, which is what we call leap year. Every once in a while, we have February the 29th, okay? And so we, today, 2022, is based upon Pope Gregory the 13th. It's called the Gregorian calendar. That is the calendar that we use today. It was developed over 2,000 years after Daniel. So when Daniel's having this vision and God's saying there's seven sets of seven and 62 sets of seven and another, he's not talking about July and August. Daniel is counting this in Jewish days according to the Jewish calendar, okay? The one thing to note about the Jewish calendar system, it only has 360 days in it as to where the Gregorian system has 365 days except for leap year, it has 66. Okay, all right, so when Daniel's seeing all of this, he's counting in Jewish days and calendar years. All right, so let's get the graphic back up. You've got the pre-degree, which is there's gonna be this thing that's gonna 
start the clock ticking, all right, then you're gonna have 49 years. We're not real sure what happens at 49 years. We're gonna find out. Then you've got 62 sets of seven, which is 400. All right, so he's very specific about what starts the clock. Okay? In Daniel chapter nine, verse 25, I don't, I'm not gonna put this on the screen, but it just says, the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem. Maybe you can remember that. It's on your notes. The command was given to rebuild Jerusalem. I want to take you to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2. Nehemiah, chapter 1, tells the story of Nehemiah, who is a cupbearer to the king. He serves the king. He's a very trusted official. And his brother had been able to return back to Jerusalem. But he comes to see his brother, Nehemiah, and Nehemiah's like, man, how's it going? Like, I heard everything, but like, how's how's life going? He's like, man, it is not good. It is equivalent to the Oklahoma State offense. It's bad. It's horrible. It's not good. And so Nehemiah is just broken by what he hears because he just was under the impression that things were good and that life was beginning to happen in Jerusalem and things were beginning to happen. And his brother goes like, no, man, the people just, they're basically living in poverty. It's not good. Pick that up in Nehemiah chapter two. He's at work, doing his job, serving the king his wine, and it says, early the following spring in the month of Nisan. It's not Nissan, that's a car, okay? It's pronounced Nisan. And that for us is about half of the month of March and half of the month of April, okay? So he's very specific. In the month of Nisan, during the 20th reign of King Artaxerxes, I was serving the king his wine, but I'd never, like I'd faked it for that long. But man, today, just the weight of what's going on with my people, it was just on me and it was heavy. All right, so this takes place in Nisan 444 BC, okay? 444 years before the presumed birth of Christ. All right, verse six. The king, with his queen sitting behind, beside him, asked, well, how long do you need to be gone? When are you gonna come back? And after I told him how long I thought I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. And when the king agreed, start the clock. Start the clock. That conversation took place on March the 5th, 444. Okay? Would you check on your neighbors, see if they still have a pulse at this point? Like, are they okay? I know it's getting a little wild up in here. Wake them up. Y'all don't know this, but we put double shots of caffeine in your coffee this morning. All right, Nehemiah tells the story of rebuilding the wall, and they rebuilt it in record time, like 50 days. To rebuild the wall around a big town, a big city like Jerusalem, to rebuild that wall in 50 days, that was remarkable. That was amazing. That was incredible. But that's not what Daniel chapter 9 talked about. It said it will be, but, but the streets will be rebuilt. The city will be rebuilt. The city will be fully functioning again. Look, look at this. It says Jerusalem will be rebuilt with strength and a strong defense despite perilous times, okay? So let's put that graphic back up there. The city is fully strong, it's fully functional, and to get there would take 49 years from the time that the king said, okay, you can go. Literally, it takes almost 50 years. It takes 49 years for Jerusalem to get back to being a city of health, all right? And so that's where that 49 years comes from. It's from the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Then, 
he goes into this, the 62 sets of seven, all right? Well, that's a period of 434 years, okay? So if you add 49 from the time it took to rebuild Jerusalem and the 434, which is this other just long period of time, if you add all that up, okay, keep in mind, the Jewish calendar only has 360 days so you can't multiply by 365, it'll throw your math off. But if you take all those years, you take the 483 and you multiply it by the 360 days in the Jewish calendar, you get this number, 173,880. And it took 72 watermelons to fill, no, you know what I'm saying? So 173,880, okay? Verse 25. Listen, Daniel. You don't have to think. You don't, math is hard. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven. That's that 173,880 days. It will pass from the time that the command was given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, will come. So what started the clock ticking was the king going, okay, you can go, whatever you need. And then he's saying for 173,880 days, history is just going to keep clicking. And then on that 173,880th day, something majestic is going to happen. There is going to be a king. There is going to be a ruler that Daniel chapter 9 refers to him as the anointed one. If you're with me, say amen. The word there, anointed one, the Hebrew word is M-A-S-I-A-H. Messiah. Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Anointed one. All right? I'm going to take you to one other place in Scripture. About to be cool. About to go, oh, Nelly. All right? Luke chapter 19. Jesus is wrapping things up. He is intended to his final week of ministry before he would be crucified, buried. And this is what we call the triumphal entry. Where, where Jesus has his disciples go get this colt, and he gets on this colt, and he's riding into Jerusalem on this colt. And I want you to see what happens. Verse 36, as Jesus rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down to the Mount of Olives, all of the followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. And this is what they are decreeing. This is what they are declaring. Blessed is the king. Blessings on the ruler who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glorious in the highest heaven. Somebody ought to say amen. Because at least you can understand that, right? Like there's no math. This happens the week before Jesus would be arrested, put on trial, crucified, what would be our first Easter. So we know the date. That this happens. This happens on March the 30th of AD 33. Everybody take a deep breath. Let it out. Brace yourself. That is exactly 173,800. <laughs> like just blow your mind. 
To the day, I did the math. I should have brought my homework because I showed my work. I did it like four or five times because I'm paranoid of getting up here and then one of y'all going, well, preacher, when I did that, it didn't turn out. I did it like four times. To the day, it's 173,880 days from the time in Nehemiah chapter two where the king says, okay, until Jesus is on this white colt coming down the mountain and everybody starts going, blessed to he who comes in the name of the Lord. Verse 26, very calm. After this period of 62 sets of seven, okay, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. Like when Jesus died, like his disciples were like, oh man, I gave up three years for nothing. So it looked like the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. And a ruler will arise and his armies will destroy the city and the temple, okay? The first half of verse 26, after this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed. Then there'll be another ruler come up and, and he's gonna destroy this. The first half of that verse is about Jesus and what took place in 70 AD with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, okay? So it says, the armies will destroy the city and the temple, period. The title of today's message is, Stop the Clock. Because when that happens, there's just a period there in this timeline it just stops because now we're in a new age in history. We're in what's called the church age. That Jesus said, go seek and save that which is lost. Go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, okay? But, but, but when I'm looking at this graph, there's another seven years. So there's one more sets of seven that's to come, but the clock has stopped. And so we're waiting for another trigger. Nehemiah chapter two, sure, you can go build, start the clock. But we're waiting for another trigger because now the clock has been stopped and we're waiting for this next seven years. What is going to trigger the starting of the new clock, all right? So Daniel chapter nine, verse 26, it says, and the end, or then the end will come. Catch that. Like after the end of that, you know, the anointed one's gonna die, it's gonna look like he didn't do anything, somebody's gonna destroy the temple, and then it says, and then the end will come. So there is this pause, and you and I, we're living in the pause. And the end will come with a flood, with wars and its miseries, and be decreed from that time to the very end. We are living in the pause. The watch of history has stopped. We're waiting for seven more years so we can get to that eternal kingdom that I don't know about you, but I'm ready for Jesus to come back. I don't wanna go through another presidential election. Sorry, sorry. Just like Nehemiah chapter two, there is a trigger starts the clock, all right? So let me show it to you in verse 27. Because we're in the pause, and then now there's gonna be another set of sevens that we gotta get to. So verse 27 says, the ruler will make a treaty with people for a period of one set of seven. There's that last seven years. He will make a, a treaty, a covenant with people for a period of one set of seven. But after half of that seven years, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings, like he's gonna break the deal, okay? And as a climax of all the terrible deeds, he's actually gonna set up sacrilegious object that causes desecration 
until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. The thing that we are waiting that will start the clock again is a treaty. It's a covenant that will not be made with America. It won't be made. It's going to be made with Israel. That covenant is what starts the clock for the last seven years, and then we move into, as Buzz Lightyear would say, infinity and beyond, all right? The person who's going to sign that covenant, we, we studied him, Daniel chapter 7. He was that mouthy little horn. It's the Antichrist. And when he shows up on the scene, man, it's going to be pretty clear who he is. It's going to be pretty clear. He's going to be pretty slick. The world's going to kind of trust him. You're not going to have to wonder, which American politician is the Antichrist? Because he's not even American. He's going to come out of the old Roman Empire. There's going to be a 10-nation alliance. I think three of those nations will kind of combine to one. And he's going to come out of that. Not last year's president or this year. It, it, it's, he's, not, he's not going to come out of the American empire. And people aren't going to have to worry because he's going to bring peace and he's going to solve all the political problems. He won't be repulsive. Everybody's going to put their hope in him. And here's the deal. What I think, and I ain't going to argue with you. You got the right to be wrong. It's fine. But I think you and I ain't even going to see it. Jesus is going to blow that trumpet. And we're going to be gone, baby. That rapture going to come get us. But there is going to be the Antichrist has come up on the scene. And he's going to make a seven-year peace covenant or commitment with Israel. And that is when the clock starts again. Halfway through that, he's going to break the deal. He's going to say, no, 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 no. Y'all can't, can't do that stuff at the temple anymore. And, and he's actually, he's going to become horrible. He's going to be horrible. And then at the end of that seven years, what we call the tribulation is when we move into the eternal kingdom where Jesus will reign and rule. There'll be no more wars, no more rumors of wars. And Jesus is going to reign and rule and we're going to reign and rule with him. Amen, everybody. All right, see you next Sunday. No, I'm just, I'm just, hold on, hold, okay, hold on. This is what I want you to see because I know there's a lot of math. I know some of you, you glazed over right now. I got you. This is what I want you to see because this only emphasizes the theme out of the book of Daniel. There's been this theme every week that develops in the book of Daniel. And I'm gonna try to, my best to explain it. What would happen to Daniel is God would prophesy through Daniel that something was gonna happen. And a lot of times in Daniel's lifetime, that something would happen. Meaning the prophecy that God gave to Daniel was true and could be trusted. So the prophecies that God have given in the book of Daniel, some of them have come to pass, some of them have proven true, but some of them deal with the end of time. All of the other ones have proven true, so if those were true, I can trust that these at the end of days are gonna be true. Can I get an amen? If Jesus said he's coming back, you can take it to the bank, baby. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I wanna invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.